I'm Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. Every other week, I talk with artists who are also mothers and caregivers about their postpartum creative process. You can find out more about the podcast at www.postpartumproduction.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Five years ago today, I found myself in a situation where I never thought I would be. First, I had actually published my first book, and I had published it with a small independent press. It's a long story I can go into in another podcast, maybe season two. But I was running through the streets of Manhattan, a place that I don't know very well, and was a bit late to this gathering, which was the Center for Fiction's first novel gala or FET. It had some name that sounded as fancy as it felt to me. It was in this beautiful old building and there were twinkling lights because it was right before the holidays and a huge decorated Christmas tree and people in suits or in my recollection, tuxes. It just felt like one of the fanciest things I've ever been to. And I felt like a complete imposter. And I walked in and was ushered to a room where the other finalists were. And it was the night that they were announcing the winner of this prize. Even being longlisted for the prize, I was flabbergasted. I felt like my book was very experimental, very quiet. And I was proud of it. I was happy to have published. I felt like it was like so many things, a labor of love and a way I could explore the relationships that I'd had in China that felt meaningful to me through the work of that novel, which was called Empire of Glass. But I'm getting off track. And where I'm trying to go with this is (laughs) it was raining. It was cold. It was in December. And I walked into this room where a fire was lit and the other finalists who at the time were four other women who had gotten there before me were sitting around the fire and talking. And I sat next to a woman named Annabelle Kim. And I knew her work because I had bought all of the finalists books and read them ahead of the prize because I was so excited to read their work and then get the chance to meet them. And I hope I'm not offending anyone or anyone will hear this, but I had loved her book the most. I loved it much more than I loved my own book. We had started talking and I definitely remember we were both joking that we seldom wore nylons and heels and we both felt so out of place. And she told me that she had four children. She had an older daughter. She had triplet teenage sons. And I was just in awe of this woman who also had a really impressive career as an engineer and then had written this book that when I read, I fell totally in love with. Her book, which was nominated for the award, was called Tiger Pelt. There were a few things that are very memorable about that night. One is that though I was maybe five or 10 minutes late to the assigned time we were supposed to meet, the two men that were also finalists showed up much, much later. And all of the women authors, I would guess, were in their 40s and 50s. I know Annabelle had said she was. And all, interestingly, had children. Mind you, remember, it's a first novel prize. So this was their first novel that they were all publishing over the age of 40. 
The men were both under the age of 30. So that was something that we definitely noticed and we remarked upon. We also remarked that, hmm, we all have children and we got here relatively on time. And the men strode in late. It was interesting for sure to see that and to recognize that and to think about why that was the case and that these novels did get out into the world. Well, as fate would have it, Annabelle and her husband sat at the gala next to my husband and me at our table. And so we had the night and the meal and the event to talk. And she was as lovely there as her book had made me think she would be. And I found in her so much to be inspired by and also found that I had made a new friend. And we kept up a correspondence over email. Like as I said, this was five years ago. And I also had found out that she had received a really, really tough stage four lung cancer diagnosis just prior to the event. She started undergoing treatment just after that. And so during our correspondence, she had shared that with me. Sadly, Annabelle passed away in September of 2021. And I'm thinking of her today because obviously of the five-year that had passed since we met. I'm also thinking of her in light of this podcast and the closing out of this season because she really inspired me at that moment to think and feel so insightfully, I think. Gosh, she really shook me in terms of her relationship to her mothering and her writing and her career She seemed to have an infinite amount of space and I could just feel these arms that could encompass and hold so much and that she was able to hold that with such grace and humor. And that was so obvious to me in the short amount of time that I spent with her. She made such a deep impression upon me at that moment that she had four children, had published this book. And had such a self-deprecating sense of humor and awareness. So I wanted to share today a few things uh, about Annabelle because I wanted to dedicate this podcast season to her. The formal bio of Annabelle would say that she was a mother of four. She was a mechanical engineer, an inventor, and a novelist. She was the author of Tiger Pelt which was published by Leafland Press, also a small independent publisher. And the novel tracks the intertwined lives of two individuals living through the Japanese occupation of Korea, World War II, and the Korean War. And it was based in part on her father's life. Now that's the formal bio. But I wanted to share a few pieces with you from Annabelle's writing that speak to what I think it means to be a woman and a writer and a caregiver who's navigating all of that and doing so with a perspective that I think is so refreshing and inspiring. To start, I wanted to share with you from an email exchange that we had back in 2018. She had shared a bit about the medical treatments that she was undergoing. And she said that, and I'm going to read from the email. 
I thought I had a lot of doctor's appointments before, but the life of a guinea pig is beyond all reckoning. It really does impinge on time to get any work done. Yeah, the fiction is really low going, but I do intend to write at least one more novel. I'm writing an odyssey story about a woman engineer who goes from the east to west coast in a trailer-mounted pilot plant testing a new water treatment process. Does this not sound absolutely riveting? I mean, it was difficult to top the bestseller potential of a historical novel about Korea, but I think I really hit upon something here. <laughs> so I wanted to share that because I really appreciated the way she was able to do the work of writing and yet also have such a light-hearted perspective on the work that she was doing. She also wrote a really beautiful essay for Lit Hub, which was also published in 2018, titled Returning to Writing After a Stage 4 Cancer Diagnosis. I wanted to read a few passages from that. She writes, Death is the common denominator for all living organisms. There's nothing unique about it. When I turned 50 a couple years ago, I began to contemplate the years I thought I had left. I estimated, conservatively I thought, that I had 30 years to go, which seemed dreadfully strin- sorry. I estimated, conservatively I thought, that I had 30 years to go, which seemed dreadfully stingy to me. The end had been on my mind for some time, in a vague, middle-aged, angst sort of way, but now it was slapping me silly. What does it feel like to receive a terminal diagnosis? A writer should be able to describe such a devastating human experience. Only I can't. Honestly, it felt like nothing. White noise, blank screen, absolute zero. Um, in an interview that Annabelle gave to writer Sonia Chung, who was actually also a judge of the first novel prize the year that Annabelle and I met. She talks about the genesis of the novel, as well as how she actually was able to finally get the work done. She says in the interview, Technically, I started writing Tiger Pelt in 1984, a scene from the book where a teacher inflicts a perverse punishment on a child, was written for a short story course I took with Alexander Thoreau at MIT. The story ended up in the trash bin, but I resurrected the scene and repurposed it for the book. Real progress on the book began around 2005, when my triplets started napping at the same time. I also took the boys on a second nap drive to pick my daughter up from school. As soon as they fell asleep, I would pull the, into the car line and scribble on a pad I kept in the minivan. During this sleep-deprived phase of my life, I wrote about an hour or two a day, but I thought about the book constantly and even dreamed about it. The production pace picked up when my boys went to preschool. By the time the boys were in full day school, I had plenty of time to write. She later says, I always admired and envied newly minted MFAs who emerged from their programs with a sparkling ove. Me? I have a hair-triggered cringe reflex from my own writing, and I think I needed to live longer and experience more before I could write anything publishable. I had more confidence to write about grown-ups after I knew what it felt like to be one, to complete a massive undertaking, suffer failure, overcome obstacles, make a lifetime commitment, raise children, love unconditionally.
she writes in her essay about her cancer diagnosis that she came across a memoir by Paul Kalanithi called When Breath Becomes Air. She said that she had to read his memoir. And she writes, among the many exquisite sentences and when breath becomes air, Dr. Kalanithi wrote a very simple one that jolted me from my stupor. If I had two years left to live, I would write. I recognize that the inexplicable will to write, which I've concluded is nothing but a genetic defect like the EGFR mutation, was yet another similarity I shared with him. Dr. Kalanithi died in 2015, but he spoke to me in 2017. What an immense privilege it is to be able to put words on paper. In the same essay, she writes, I know there are no exhortations, much as I would wish otherwise, that will convince my children to be happy when I die. So my writing is a part of me that I leave for my children. After I am long gone and memories have dulled, I hope my words will speak to them with immediacy and vitality, much as Dr. Kalanithi's words spoke to me. Along with nurturing their tolerance for cruciferous vegetables, I will consider my purpose as a mother accomplished if I set an example for them to slough off most of the self-pity and persevere in the face of obstacles. I have returned to my second novel, and I found that some of my fixation on morbidity has given way to a sense of urgent purpose. I feel deeply privileged to have met Annabelle, to have shared a ridiculously fancy meal with her, to have sat in our nylons, in our uncomfortable high heels, and to have laughed, and to have felt honored to be in that moment, to be in a room filled with people who care about art, who care about writing, and also to have felt like we didn't belong. And I appreciated that about Annabelle, to have felt the comfort with her and the discomfort of this space that was celebrating books, but also was doing it in a way that was lovely and fancy and (laughs) elegant. (laughs) And I just really appreciated her honesty. And more than anything, I am so grateful that she did persevere, that she wrote that book and that she left a legacy that goes well beyond her children and to those of us who are lucky enough to read her work today. So this is in thanks to Annabelle Kim, who left a very, very strong mark on me, even in the tiniest of moments that we were able to spend together. And I'm really grateful for all the caregivers and mothers who do this really important work and who leave such important legacies and tell such incredible stories and who make art that will be in public record forever, hopefully, and is our way of attempting to make sense of this beautiful and tragic and complicated and totally inexplicable world we live in. So thank you. Thank you, Annabelle, for being a part of this world. Lately I've been trying so hard to save water From the walls it's flooding in so suddenly 
I'm your host, Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. This will help us reach more listeners like you who are navigating the joys and pitfalls of artistic and parenting identities. For regular updates, visit our website, postpartumproduction.com. Follow us on Instagram at Postpartum Production Podcast and subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Substack. Thank you for listening. And we are so grateful to have you with us on this journey. Postpartum may feel like forever, and sometimes it may feel very lonely, but you're not alone here.